0: mint mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 ready to get 30 ready to get 20 20 20 to get 20 20 to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees Promoting for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows
1: full terms at mintmobile.com
0: a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance It's Friday, September 1st, 2023, the 954th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable a warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release the only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at i'm your you can do so for as little as fifty dollars a year or five dollars a month and in doing so you will be supporting me the work i do and this show as it expands and if you can't or you simply don't want to Continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, before we get into what I want to talk about today, I just want to add on one more little piece to what we talked about yesterday, where we talked about the series of African coups, eight African coups in the last three years, overthrowing the illegitimate global regime installed governments in these eight countries. Naturally, as you might suspect in each instance, the global propaganda media refers to all of these as coups, even though in all the cases the leaders were installed through stolen elections supported by the global regime. The most recent of these Coups was in Gabon, where their leader, Ali Bongo, was removed from power after his family had been in power, his father and then himself, for almost 60 years. Why even bother calling them elections anymore? And that should clue you into something. The people supporting Ali Bongo are the very same people supporting and working with Joseph Robinette Biden the fake president of the United States of America. So Joe Biden's ally and a global regime controlled and installed president still goes through with elections in his country. And it was declared that he won his election 64% to 30%. And think about that. A leader whose family has been in power for almost 60 years. They still have. Democratic elections, because without having elections, the global regime can't very well say, This is one of our democracies, don't you see? It's a democracy. We must protect and preserve democracies abroad. That's how they message it to the world. And you can't very well call a king a democracy. If you don't have a king and the leader isn't there as a result of elections, you can't have a democracy. But it's also worth noting that if you want to keep a king in place, well, then you just put a parliament under the king and do fake elections so the people can decide who they like in the parliament roles. And then you just still have a king. And it's just the illusion of democracy, but with a king, rather than the illusion of democracy where everybody knows the deal and just kind of does the global regime's bidding. So Ali Bongo and his father, have been in power in Gabon for almost 60 years, and they still tell the people that they have elections. The elections are obviously stolen, but elections are stolen all over the world. In some places where the family hasn't been in power forever, the elections are like 51-49, like they were in Brazil. The exact result I called while the election was going And while Bolsonaro was still winning by a lot, and they don't have six-week-long elections, 51-49 is a narrative element. 64-30 is an entirely different narrative element. What happens if you have authoritarian oppressive rule over the course of decades, but you still have to say to the world that you're a democracy? And the thing is... Your citizens can't do anything about it. No one else around the world cares, certainly not in the West. And the guy in power is there as an installed servant of the global regime, who, from the perspective of tiny Gabon, has more power than they could ever possibly imagine. The leader, of course, is getting extremely wealthy, as are the people around him. Because the thing about communism and the thing about feudalism, the thing about any sort of society set up like this, where the people are absolutely subjects and don't have the power to change anything, if you're going to keep pretending that elections are a real thing, well, then you're going to have to tell society that not only do they like what's happening, they love what's happening. And the fact that you don't love it, I guess that's because you're just bad at being a person. You can be certain that there are people in Gabon right now who were benefiting from things being the way they have been. And they may well believe that 64% of the country really wants to see Ali Bongo stay in power. But I imagine they're probably starting to realize that that absolutely is not the case. You have to wonder how many people in Gabon are finally waking up. I don't pretend to know much of anything about the people of Gabon. But I strongly suspect that they're like the people anywhere where if their entire world is turned upside down and it ends up just being unavoidably true, that everything they tried not to believe that they argued against, they fought against, they denied for maybe their entire lives turns out to be exactly the opposite of what they always thought. You're either going to accept it and give in and have some really hard moments or else you're going to go nuts. But I imagine there's a lot of people waking up for the first time. Now, I wanted to add that I had missed this last week, but I think it's important in the context of what we discussed. Jackson Hinkle on X. This is August 24th. The leader of Mali, Asimi Goita, warned ECOWAS. If ECOWAS dares invade Niger, we will not only intervene, but we will militarily invade Nigeria. To bring back the rightful winner of the 2023 election, we are fully aware of the real winner of the presidential election. So that is the leader of Mali announcing to the world that they know Nigeria's election was stolen. And they're saying that if Nigeria threatens Niger any further, Mali is going to invade Nigeria and depose their illegitimate president, too. That's what that sounds like. So that is not only an incredible development. It's also a very interesting threat aimed directly at the global regime and those who are supporting them in Africa right now. It's a statement of the power and confidence that these nations have, potentially partly based on their backing by Russia and China, which should indicate China and Russia's power balance in relation to the global regime, who Russia is themselves dismantling in Ukraine. And it should make it very clear that there are leaders around the world who know the results of other nations elections and when and how they're stolen. I have been saying this as one of the most obvious intuitive proofs of the situation we are actually in. For a few years now, but there is absolutely no way that Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin believe Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. There's no way they believe Joe Biden won that election. They very, very likely have evidence that Joe Biden could never have won that election. Whatever compromise they have on Biden, this is bigger compromise that they almost definitely have. They do not pay attention to Biden. They do not fear Joe Biden's power. There has been no point at which Ukraine has ever had a chance of beating Russia, no matter how much support comes in from the fake president, how much money, how many weapons. They don't fear Joe Biden. Vladimir Putin doesn't even talk to Joe Biden. I mean, think about what that means. Joe Biden goes out on television, makes all these threats against Vladimir Putin. If Putin believed any of those threats, Wouldn't he be calling Joe Biden? Please, Joe, why are you making all those threats against me on television? Can we talk this out? Is there some sort of deal we can make? But he doesn't do that. China punks Joe Biden. Saudi Arabia punks Joe Biden. Mexico punks Joe Biden. The leader of Mali knows that Nigeria's elections are stolen. And of course, you'll remember earlier this year, when Victoria Newland herself and a bunch of other global regime communists and the evil twin faction of the United States of America, right now, traveled over to Nigeria to help them fortify their election. If I'm not mistaken, Stacey Abrams went over there too. And then we had that video from Linda Thomas Greenfield, the UN lady, with I think Samantha Power and Anthony Blinken talking about the Nigerian elections. What do you think that means? The same people around Joe Biden here are stealing elections in other countries and other countries know it. Other countries know that Joe Biden's not legitimate. What could matter more than that on the world stage? You thought there was a big reaction when Donald Trump said desanctimonious. sanctimonious Imagine that she and Putin released a joint statement saying Joe Biden was illegitimate and they have all the evidence. What would that do for the fake president's leverage? Now, I'm not saying I think that's a great idea and I want to see that happen. I think that that would just be chaos. And there are much better ways to prove to the American public that Joe Biden's not legitimate than having she and Putin say it. But I don't even think that the regime and the media mouthpieces and that the influencers over here could win that argument. I really don't. I think enough of the American public understands that Joe Biden is illegitimate. And I think the disastrous Ukraine war has probably worn down people's opinion on Vladimir Putin from where it was 19 months ago. And then, of course, most standard issue villagers have no idea why we should even be bothered by China in the first place. That's why they've spent the last few years calling it racist whenever Donald Trump says it comes from China or he calls it the China virus. So I think we would have probably no problem winning that argument, but it would be chaos for a little while and probably annoying. There are better ways for it to happen, I think. Regardless, all the leaders that stand in opposition to the global regime are well aware that the global regime steals elections around the world. They don't all watch CNN and obey Instagram fact checks. Our mainstream culture exhibits the sort of thinking that makes other countries think Americans are stupid. How many times have we heard that throughout our lives? Well, this is why. And hey, I used to be part of it. I used to be one of the dumb ones. But we all did about one thing or another. And we can just figure out what's right and begin to move past it. But we can't do that when our mainstream culture is pretending Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. Or that it's a good idea to wear a mask in your car. Now, of course, we all know Victoria Nuland. She helped overthrow Ukraine in 2014 which turned out to be the cause of all this Russia-Ukraine conflict that's happening right now. Color revolutions are just kind of her thing, which is why she went to help Nigeria stage one just this year. She's also helping one along in Pakistan. And this is, of course, the global mouthpiece Reuters. From just three days ago, senior U.S. diplomat Newland urges timely and Fair elections in Pakistan. Senior U.S. diplomat Victoria Newland spoke on Tuesday with Pakistani Foreign Minister Jalil Abbas Jalani and discussed the importance of timely, free, and fair elections in the South Asian nation, the U.S. State Department said. Acting Deputy Secretary Newland and Foreign Minister Jalani discussed the importance of timely, free, and fair elections in a manner consistent with Pakistan's laws and constitution. Pakistani politics has been in crisis for over a year, with former Prime Minister Imran Khan, who was ousted in a parliamentary vote of no confidence last year, being at the center of it. And Imran Khan, of course, is the sovereign nationalist leader, and the battle is being fought in Pakistan right now between the global regime and the people of Pakistan, just as it's happening everywhere around the world. Khan blamed the United States and Pakistan's military for his ousting. Both Washington and the military have denied his claims. I wonder why they can't fact check that. We're just supposed to accept the denial. That is what we are being told by Reuters. The government says... The State Department statement on the call between Newland and Jelani made no mention of Khan. A Pakistani high court on Tuesday suspended the jailed former prime minister's sentence on corruption charges, but he will remain behind bars as a judge has already ordered his detention in another case. The conviction of Khan, who remains Pakistan's most popular leader, according to opinion polls, has also barred him from contesting elections for five years. Does that sound exactly like what the regime is doing to Donald Trump? Yeah, of course it does. It's crazy that Joe Biden's undersecretary of state, Victoria Nuland, the woman responsible for the Maidan revolution and the overthrow of the Ukrainian government in 2014, the woman who was just in Nigeria this year helping fortify their election that was stolen, is now trying to complete the color revolution in Pakistan. Pakistan swore in a caretaker cabinet under interim prime minister Anwar ul-Haq Kakar in mid-August, tasking it with running the country until fresh elections, which may be delayed beyond November as constituency boundaries are redrawn. The caretaker cabinet's top job will be to lead Pakistan toward economic stabilization with the three hundred and fifty billion dollar economy treading a narrow recovery path after getting a last minute three billion dollar bailout deal from the International Monetary Fund, averting a sovereign debt default. So they flood some regime cash into Pakistan So that their caretaker cabinet can stabilize their economy. That is always what we are told when the global regime is trying to consolidate power in the country, flood the money in, make everybody think this is the greatest thing that ever happened. The Election Commission earlier this month said new constituencies based on the latest census would be finalized by December 14th. After that, the commission will confirm an election date. And you can't mess with the census. I mean, sure, we have 11 million to 40 or 50 or 70 million. No one knows. Illegal aliens counted as part of our population in the United States of America. That three hundred and thirty, three hundred and forty million number you always hear about. That doesn't exclude illegal aliens. They're in that number. And is the number accurate? No, it's not accurate. But is it used to assign electoral college votes? Is it used to appropriate money to states? Is it used to decide how large the state's delegation in the U.S. House of Representatives is? Yeah, it's used for all that. But is it accurate? No, it's not accurate. But they are going to decide the new voting districts in Pakistan, where they deposed a sovereign leader and have imprisoned him, until the point at which they can have new elections that Victoria Newland is helping them to set up. Political analysts, oh, experts, said that if the caretaker setup stretches beyond its constitutional tenure, a prolonged period without an elected government would allow the military which has ruled directly for more than three decades of the country's 76-year existence to consolidate control. Newland and Jelani also discussed Pakistan's economic stability and continued engagement with the IMF, the State Department said. And so it will be quite interesting to keep an eye on Pakistan. Now, what I want to talk about today a little bit is Donald Trump. Last week, he had the big Tucker Carlson interview totally overshadowing the ridiculous primary debate of GOPE also-rans. And we talked earlier in the week about how Ron DeSantis was trying to make up for his awful performance by going for a photo op at the Field of Dreams and then McCaining his way home to Florida so that he could be a real governor down there and get on TV confidently and competently handling huge crises in Florida. There was a race-based mass shooting, we were told. And in order to capitalize on a photo op, Ron went out into urban Jacksonville, gave a speech, was roundly booed and blamed for the problems, and then promised money to the black councilwoman who then rushed out to save him, even though she's a Democrat and he's a Republican. She has a little D next to her name, he has a little R next to his. But they can come together in one of these hard times where Ron is giving her money and they are all making Ron look like a friend of the urban black community in Jacksonville. Ron gave a very woke statement about how racially motivated murders are totally unacceptable. And a couple days later, he got to be Mr. Hurricane Defender going to all of the little centers and talking about how he was supplying this and that to the citizens of Florida, all this preparation and I have no doubt there was some flooding and that there was some devastation, but it was nowhere near the storm that they were all pretending it was. We are seeing a bunch of ridiculously overhyped, more or less non-events trying to prop up this man's competence. Let's recall that he ran for re-election in Florida and his shadow campaign for president started before his reelection for governor. To the extent that any of it is real, it is absolutely disgraceful. And considering the approach from the DeSantis campaign toward Donald Trump, toward MAGA, toward election fraud and toward a number of other issues, Ron doesn't get the benefit of the doubt when he goes on TV to play governor after being in Iowa for the whole year. This was a big week for Ron. Ron was supposed to steal the show. He was going to come in, save everybody from racial gun violence while protecting the second amendment. And then he was going to save Florida from a horrifying natural disaster, just like his controlled opposition. Gavin Newsom didn't do in California the week before this was supposed to be a massive week for Ron and nothing happened. And again, I'm not trying to make light of devastation that people may have suffered in Florida. And if you or someone you know were affected by it, get in touch with me. I want to hear what happened. But that doesn't change the fact that there was a mass media TV show this week setting up Ron DeSantis to be a hero, and it just didn't work. The storm wasn't all that powerful. Everybody I've talked to in Florida, on the ground, some far away, some much closer, said that nothing they experienced made it seem like anything more than a normal summer storm. You can tell that they didn't get what they wanted out of the story because it is completely gone from the headlines and was basically gone within 24 hours. The coverage itself admits that the storm wasn't that big and that the story didn't work. This is true regardless of the actual impact. So let's try to keep those things separate. This was supposed to be a big week for Ron, and it wasn't a big week. It was another bad week. His influencers all went absolutely nuts. They spent the morning Wednesday when there was supposed to be hurricane devastation talking about how, Heroic Ron was about to be, how Trump hadn't said anything and his influencers hadn't said anything. And of course, the influencers they were talking about are people who do not work for Trump at all. Just people out there using their own voices with their own media identities, giving their own ideas. No coordination from Trump. The DeSantis people were mad that these people hadn't tweeted enough. About the storm, that's what they were focused on. And then every video that showed any form of disaster all day long, this is the most horrifying thing ever. And again, I'm sure for some people it was quite scary, and I'm not trying to make light of that. But the point remains, these people trying to exploit this situation are in fact the ones making light of it. They're not focused on the effect on people, they're focused on the effect on Ron. But all of that is over and done with. They're not still celebrating how great Ron was about the storm. We will probably never hear it mentioned again, just like we will probably never hear the Jacksonville shooter story mentioned again. And consider how quickly these stories just disappear from the media now. The Jacksonville shooting happened, and then a day later, we have a Chinese student from Wuhan walking into a classroom and shooting to death his faculty advisor inside a science building at the University of North Carolina. And wait a second, that's where Ralph Barrick works. You know, the gain of function research guy. And again, let's think about this outside of the victim relationship. Let's think about this in the narrative sense. What we had Last Saturday was a white on black racially motivated shooting in Jacksonville that the Ron campaign then attempted to exploit and failed miserably. And then three days later, we have a student from Wuhan shooting to death a faculty advisor at UNC Chapel Hill, where Ralph Barrick was figuring out how to make it look like the most deadly pandemic in the history of all mankind. Came from a back cave. You have one narrative that helps regime interests, and another one right after of the same subject matter that turns regime interests on their head. Now, if you want to say that's all real and that's all random, you're more than welcome to do that, and you might be right. I certainly don't know, but I do know that even if that's true, the second story totally upstaged the first, and now both are gone. Two shooting stories, big, dramatic TV shooting stories gone from the public consciousness immediately, as is this storm that was overhyped and has already disappeared. So Ron was not able to distract from his debate performance. He was not able to separate himself from the field of GOP also rans. And Ron got some other bad news or unfortunate news. They're trying to say it's not news at all. It doesn't matter. But a Ron related super PAC has closed down after donors pulled out and the founder said the Florida governor was guilty of rookie mistakes. This is from News Nation, but has been reported all over. Republican strategist John Thomas founded Ron to the rescue and collected 50 million dollars from wealthy donors. But as the Daily Mail reported, he has switched his allegiance to former President Donald Trump. The Super PAC was never formally affiliated with the DeSantis campaign, which was instead coordinating with the Never Back Down PAC. That's the Ken Cuccinelli group. According to the Daily Mail, a spokesperson with the DeSantis campaign referred to the PAC as a scam looking to fleece donors. And I guess we'll see how that plays out. Fifty million dollars is a whole lot of money to collect. One would think that if the PAC collected fifty million dollars from wealthy donors, but was just grifting on Ron DeSantis' name as the DeSantis people are accusing them of doing, I would suspect we'll see some legal action either by the DeSantis campaign or by the donors. You can't just pretend to be representing a politician, take in $50 million and just keep it. I mean, right? Maybe we're going to learn something all new about political action committees. And hey, I'm up for it. Thomas spoke with News Nation about the decision to switch allegiances. Initially, Thomas said, it appeared DeSantis could pull in Republican loyalists who backed a Trump like agenda, as well as non traditional GOP voters that Trump has had difficulty attracting. While he may be a great governor, he's not ready for the national stage, Thomas said. Thomas also noted that Trump is still performing well with voters despite facing four indictments one in New York, one in Georgia, and two in federal court. We think that Donald Trump, in spite of all his legal challenges, has honestly run a nearly flawless effort with strategic ad spends against his opponent, DeSantis, Thomas said. He called the decision to back DeSantis a miscalculation. What makes somebody good for one office, the skills don't directly translate to another. For instance, when you're running for governor or Congress, oftentimes the main skills you need are the ability to raise money and roll television ads, Thomas said. When you run for president, retail politicking, charisma, charm, discipline, being able to conduct yourself in a likable manner on television interviews. Those are all equal, if not more important than your ability to roll TV ads. And DeSantis just hasn't had that. So basically what Ron needed to do to become governor was raise money and put himself on TV. And he simply lacks all the other characteristics one might need to run for president. Now, of course, the only thing that Ron really needed to become governor was Donald Trump's endorsement. And the only thing he needed to to be reelected was to lie to the state of Florida about how he was actually going to serve as governor and be on Fox News and other mainstream conservative outlets all the time with all of Con Inc. media and its influencers supporting him at every possible turn, crafting him into the anti-woke hero and the only man who can save us. Naturally, Donald Trump immediately went out and posted on Truth Social about that super PAC abandoning Ron DeSantis. And Trump has also made nice comments this week about Vivek Ramaswamy, even leaving open the possibility that Vivek could be chosen as vice president. Now, I think that that is a 0% chance. I think, as many people have speculated, that Donald Trump is likely just turning the spotlight on Vivek, which will diminish Rob DeSantis as he slides further into the background. Trump said at the beginning of the week that he thought DeSantis would be dropping out soon and potentially running for Senate against Rick Scott. And now he's pulling Vivek into the spotlight. Vivek will be vetted harder once he becomes the competitor if he starts saying bad things about Donald Trump. But it seems to me like Vivek's primary usefulness is speaking out these MAGA agenda items so that people understand what parts of the agenda are before coming to understand that Vivek Ramaswamy is not the genuine article. He lacks one of the most important characteristics in a political candidate at this time in American history, which is authenticity. It's very hard to believe that he is who he represents himself to be. It also simply makes no sense to me why Donald Trump would choose Vivek Ramaswamy. We're not playing games with age or with ethnicity or gender. Those things don't matter. We're not in some normal election scenario as if elections only worked the way the regime has always told us they work in the first place. It's not like they ever disclosed that they were stealing them all. Of course, they're going to tell us it's about gender and race. If they can't make it about race, what explanation would they have for minorities always voting for Democrats? So what was supposed to be a big week for Ron turned out to be a very bad one. When is he going to leave Florida and go back to Iowa? Does he still have to handle the storm fallout? Is he heading back to Iowa this weekend? Will it be next week? Will he not head back to Iowa at all? Maybe Donald Trump was right. Maybe he's going to drop out, run for Senate against Rick Scott. And that would make no sense to me whatsoever unless we're about to start hearing some bad things about Rick Scott, which, hey, is always a possibility. So while there wasn't a whole lot of major Trump news relative to the past few weeks, when it seems like we're constantly getting indictments and arrests and mugshots. But he has been communicating directly to the public and I would say fairly presidentially especially by comparison to not only the fake president, Joe Biden, who is absolutely incapable of displaying presidential behavior, but also to the Republican candidates pretending to run in this GOP primary. Trump responded this week to a Wall Street Journal op-ed that argued Trump's tariffs actually forced American consumers to pay more for foreign products. Trump wrote his own rebuttal, arguing that his tariff policies were a success. He said even after being proven spectacularly and totally wrong in all their past predictions regarding my historically successful trade policies, the diehard globalists at the editorial board still have not learned their lesson. He said that price increases for consumers were virtually non-existent and there was effectively no inflation. He pointed out that trade deficits with China declined while he was president and that even if certain goods cost more during that period, the successful economic expansion more than made up for it. He wrote since 2000, the U S has racked up 17 trillion dollars in cumulative trade deficits with the world. Only a fool or a fanatic would dismiss these facts as irrelevant. 17 trillion dollars. He also said foreigners now own 16.75 trillion more of our economy than we own of theirs. Our country is being plundered. Now, I know it's no playing baseball in cowboy boots at the field of dreams like the very presidential Ron Santis does, but it's possible that making a serious case for America first trade policies is more presidential than telling everybody for the millionth time how Florida Is where woke goes to die. Now, while being very presidential, he also did something very unusual this week. On Wednesday, August 30th, he posted 31 different video statements on Truth Social in the span of a few hours, and then followed that up with another 13 video statements on August 31st, followed by a fairly short but effective campaign video. Donald Trump walking through a hallway with a scowl that is a bit reminiscent of the mugshot picture. And it kind of makes me wonder if maybe that video was filmed in the hallway of the Fulton County Jail. I have searched around for pictures of it online. I have no idea what the inside of the Fulton County Jail looks like. I'm just saying the facial expression has a similar look to that mugshot. And I'm wondering if perhaps these are paired up in some way. But let's go through a few of the video statements because this is the president communicating directly to the American public. And it's funny because for most of the last eight years, people have really had a hard time with Donald Trump, even if they can get behind policies, even if they can get behind some of the mean tweets, they still have a hard time with his voice. And I've talked about this before. His voice doesn't immediately appeal to people of a certain type, particularly college educated people who have been taught that a manner of speaking is part of the way one signals one's intelligence. It is quite possible for people who are not really intelligent at all to still speak in ways that sound intelligent. And we hear that pretty often from our politicians. I've talked about how Donald Trump is very similar to Mike Lindell in that way. Mike Lindell seems to be a very patriotic American, a very nice man, very hardworking man, a man who is willing to sacrifice his time, his money and his self-image to pursue what he thinks is right. He pulled himself out of addiction and has started a successful company. And still there are baristas at Starbucks with degrees in gender studies who think that Mike Lindell is stupid. And similarly, they think Donald Trump is stupid. Despite the fact that he is one of the most famous people in the world, he is an extraordinarily successful person. He figured out how to become president of the United States while dispatching multiple high-powered political dynasties like the Clintons and the Bushes and the McCain's and the Romney's. And you can just keep going. Once we get to the end of this, it'll be all of them. But he's dumber than a gender studies major because of the way he speaks. That's the only reason why anyone would ever believe something so ridiculous. Well-spoken people think people who aren't well-spoken are probably not well-spoken because they're dumb. There are even people who aren't well-spoken who also think this. Patterns of speech are a common indicator for most people that whoever they're listening to is smart or not. Now, it's not like there's nothing to this idea, but it's not always the case. It doesn't work all the time, and it doesn't work in the case of Donald Trump. And the truth is, all of that is wearing off. People are beginning to listen to him and hear something entirely different. And if you weren't on board with Donald Trump at the very beginning, like I wasn't, then you have probably experienced it change over time for yourself, For me, I started to realize that he wasn't lying. He was actually telling the truth in as simple a way as possible while listening to his daily press conferences throughout that first period of COVID. And I started to actually listen to the words he was saying and try to figure out whether or not the things he was saying were true. I decided to stop assuming that he was just stupid and wrong and lying all the time and began to actually check for myself. And once I did, my entire outlook on Donald Trump changed and the way I hear him changed completely. I think a lot of Americans are having that response right now, which is why it's particularly important that Donald Trump continue to talk directly to the people. And he's doing so through these various events, like his rallies, like interviews Pretty regularly on cable television and some newer kind of quasi television outlets like Real America's Voice. He does some popular podcasts here and there, and then he releases these statements on Truth Social. He still talks smack occasionally. He definitely still says some funny things, but this is a man in charge communicating with the people who need to know what it is he's doing and what it is he's planning to do. He is speaking as the president to the American public. So let's go through a few of these statements. And just a heads up, if you want all of these statements, I actually compiled them all, which took longer than I thought it would, and posted them in an entry on the Substack. It has all 44 of the statements and the 45th video, which is the campaign ad. He goes after Joe Biden in the second video, calling him once again a Manchurian candidate.
1: Joe Biden is totally controlled by China, Ukraine and various other countries. They know everything about him, all of his misdeeds. And there are many. He's a corrupt person. He's a compromised president who is leading our country to hell. In the true sense, and I don't know if you know what this means, he is a Manchurian candidate. Trust me on that. It's not good.
0: So a Manchurian candidate is a candidate who is installed and then controlled by a foreign power. Donald Trump is saying pretty directly that Joe Biden is a puppet president of the global regime. In the third video, he talks about indictments.
1: Crooked Joe Biden's only campaign strategy is indicting me. That's all they can do. Keep indicting him on nonsense. Going on extended vacations and sleep, sleep, sleep. That's what he wants to do. He wants to sleep and he wants to go to the beach and sleep. He thinks he looks good in a bathing suit. He doesn't.
0: Now, less presidential, perhaps, but still quite effective. And I mean, come on, who doesn't love that? Everybody loves it. It's okay to admit that you love it. It's hilarious. And Joe Biden isn't a real president. He's making fun of a Manchurian candidate. And if you can't make fun of a Manchurian candidate, who can you make fun of? We just passed the anniversary of the disastrous pullout from Afghanistan. And Donald Trump has this to say about that terrible event.
1: We were leaving Afghanistan with dignity and strength. Biden left in shame and defeat. A defeat like this country has never suffered before. And
0: he follows that up by reminding everyone that he did, in fact, defeat 100 percent of the ISIS caliphate.
1: I defeated 100% of the ISIS caliphate. Everyone said that couldn't be done. And I did it in a matter of weeks. We have great generals, we have great military, but not the people you see on television. All other presidents failed. After 20 years, they failed. They worked so hard. They thought so hard. They didn't know what they were doing. All of the presidents before me failed. For 20 years, I defeated ISIS in just a matter of weeks. Thank you.
0: Isn't it amazing that a sovereign nationalist America first president who is not controlled by the global regime can put an immediate stop to ISIS, whereas these presidents before him could not for 20 years, George W. Bush, Barack Obama. Did they fix the terrorism problem in the Middle East or did that grow under their watch? And just how much of that were they involved in? How much did they allow while sinking? trillions of dollars into the Middle East and destroying countless lives, not only of Americans, but of people in the Middle East. And he continues with more about Afghanistan.
1: This month marks the two-year anniversary of the most embarrassing event in the history of our country. Joe Biden's disastrous surrender in Afghanistan. This was one of the horrible, horrible events in our country's past leaving thousands and thousands of Americans behind. We don't even know the number. 13 dead warriors, hundreds of civilians killed and horribly wounded, including soldiers beyond the 13 soldiers that were so badly wounded. And $85 billion worth of the finest military equipment anywhere in the world. Abandoned, handed over, call it what you want to the Taliban. It was a surrender. Never before has there been such an egregious display of incompetence and weakness on the world stage. You don't bring the soldiers out first, you bring the soldiers out last, Joe. Ever since that horrendous event, the United States and the world have been paying a very steep price. Russia took one look at Joe Biden's impotent and pathetic performance and decided to invade Ukraine. He would have never done it while I was president. Wouldn't have happened. China is now threatening Taiwan, Iran is on the cusp of a nuclear bomb, and American allies around the globe are doubting American strength and cozying up to the Chinese Communist Party. It's impossible to overstate the scale of the military, diplomatic, and geopolitical disaster created by Joe Biden's Afghanistan catastrophe. History will be very harsh on Crooked Joe for a lot of reasons, but this is one of them. What is needed now is a decisive and rapid return to unquestioned, undoubted, and unrivaled American power and prestige. We had that when I was president. When I was president, we were the most respected country in the world, more respected than America ever was. Under my leadership, we were getting out of Afghanistan, but we were getting out with dignity and strength. We were strong and powerful, and everybody respected us, including the Taliban. When I return to the Oval Office, you will once again have an America that is feared by our enemies, trusted by our allies and respected by everyone all over the world. No matter who it is, they're going to respect us again. They will respect us again and we will make America great again. And we will also put America first. We will restore peace through strength. That's the way it has to be. Thank you very much.
0: Now, you got to give me that one. That was very presidential. And he is right. When he is back in office, America will have respect around the world again. America's enemies will fear us. Who are America's enemies? China and Russia? Is that who he's talking about? No, of course. He's talking about the global regime who does fear a sovereign America and does fear an America first president who they cannot control. Our allies are sovereign leaders around the world. They know they can trust Donald Trump. Our enemies fear Donald Trump. Our allies can trust Donald Trump. And everybody respects Donald Trump as the American president. And it does not matter if gender studies majors who are now baristas at Starbucks don't respect him. Not that there's anything wrong with being a barista. That's just fine. But it's definitely not where these people thought they would be after getting their gender studies degrees. With the murmurs of a potentially new pandemic on the horizon, Donald Trump decided to get out in front of the next COVID narrative. Most people think it's relatively obvious that the COVID thing and the election interference are linked, but I think that there are other reasons to run this narrative as well from a regime perspective. They could use it to create that Newsom-DeSantis dichotomy and portray two different approaches to the virus that also assume that the virus is real and the pandemic is real. As far as mass media communications go, in service of uplifting and mainstreaming failing political campaigns, there's probably not anything better they could do. But rather than letting that narrative advance so they can get a foothold on the conversation, the conversation is started early. Alex Jones releases this rumor that he's hearing about COVID chatter, and now people have been talking about the return of COVID for the last couple weeks. Who saw that coming? This is more or less the exact same phenomenon we witnessed at the beginning of Ron DeSantis' shadow campaign. Trump basically did everything necessary to announce and show the world that it was a real thing. Ron DeSantis was really running for president while he was running for governor. And the head start on all of that is what let everyone see it. It made Ron look like a fool launching his campaign seven months before it actually launched making it clear that he was never intending to be governor of Florida throughout this time. No matter what we ultimately learn about the Ron DeSantis campaign and Ron DeSantis himself, from a narrative perspective, that is exactly how that went. This is blowing up the new COVID narrative and Donald Trump is taking the lead on it, not the disaster down in Florida.
1: Left-wing lunatics are trying very hard to bring back COVID lockdowns and mandates with all of their sudden fear-mongering about the new variants that are coming. Gee whiz, you know what else is coming? An election. They want to restart the COVID hysteria so they can justify more lockdowns, more censorship, more illegal drop boxes, more mail-in ballots, and trillions of dollars in payoffs to their political allies heading into the 2024 election. Does that sound familiar? These are bad people. These are sick people we're dealing with. But to every COVID tyrant who wants to take away our freedom... Hear these words, we will not comply. So don't even think about it. We will not shut down our schools. We will not accept your lockdowns. We will not abide by your mask mandates. And we will not tolerate your vaccine mandates. They rigged the 2020 election and now they're trying to do the same thing all over again by rigging the most important election in the history of our country, the 2024 election even if it means trying to bring back COVID. But they will fail because we will not let it happen. When I'm back in the White House, I will use every available authority to cut federal funding to any school, college, airline, or public transportation system that imposes a mask mandate or a vaccine mandate. Thank you very much.
0: It is now impossible for Ron DeSantis to outflank Donald Trump on COVID. None of the pro-Ron arguments about COVID were ever smart, were ever honest, nor were they ever moral. Not in any way. Awful, awful arguments. Same thing with the vaccine. Ron DeSantis was not ahead of Donald Trump on anything COVID-related at any point, although they pretended it is otherwise because Donald Trump has not denounced the vaccine. Who is asking him to do that? all of Ron DeSantis' supporters, and essentially no one else. Is that going to blow up in their face? Of course it will. It is also startlingly immoral to blame Donald Trump for the willful decisions that other people made. No one got that vaccine because Donald Trump said that it would probably be okay, and forcing it to come to market is what got us out of lockdowns. Everyone who promoted that vaccine at all promoted it more than Donald Trump. And that includes, of course, Rob DeSantis, who had countless press events touting the vaccine. One of them was him going around to Holocaust survivors and World War II veterans and getting them injected. He used to talk about getting shots in arms, just like Joe Biden. Any chance to outflank Trump on covid is gone. He's made the statements as clear as can be. He has also for months been talking about how any educational institution who implements mandates for vaccines or for masks will lose their federal funding. And if it's not obvious, that will end the vaccine regime in the United States of America. The main reason that kids get vaccinated is because otherwise they can't go to school. This exposure of the vaccine and that change will end the vaccine regime. Why would any parent at this point be concerned with going out and getting their child vaccinated if the school coercion were off the table? Only something like five percent of parents went and got their kids the covid vaccine. People have figured it out. Trump went on, as he often does, to praise America's history. We know he's planning on building the Monument Park and having like a year and a half long celebration of America's 250th birthday. He wants to preserve America's history as any leader of any sovereign nation should do, particularly when the regime is attempting to rewrite and reframe all of that history constantly.
1: Every young American deserves to know that they are the heirs to an incredible history given to us by a legion of true American heroes. Individuals like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Betsy Ross, Frederick Douglas, Abraham Lincoln, Harriet Tubman, Susan B. Anthony, Teddy Roosevelt, Generals George Patton, Douglas MacArthur, we could use them now, and countless other legends, patriots and giants of American history. Yet we're also a people whose heroes lived not only in the past, but all around us today, including the men and women of the United States military, our law enforcement, and our first responders who are all willing to lay down their lives so that we can have safety, peace, freedom, and life. The stories of our great American heroes remind us what our country is all about and how each one is capable of achieving this great, great thing that we all want to do. We want to have an incredible, successful life. We want to be also great patriots and strength for our nations. Our heroes inspire us to make America great again. We will give every young American the chance to know our remarkable heroes, to love this country and to learn that the story of America unites us and makes us stronger and free. Thank you very much.
0: He follows that up, reminding Americans to not despair about the future and that the 2024 election will see this country turned around.
1: under crooked Joe Biden. Our country is going through some very difficult times. The rule of law is being destroyed and the justice system is being wielded as a weapon against Joe Biden's political opponents, me primarily. Over the past few months, I've heard from countless Americans who are deeply disturbed by these appalling political persecutions and attacks. I want to say to you today, do not despair and do not lose hope. Every injustice they throw at us, every hoax witch hunt and abuse of power must only harden our will and steal to resolve to save our nation. This is the nation we love. We will save it. We will not let this happen. Our vindication will come on election day 2024. We will take back power from these lunatic sick and sinister people. We will expose their corruption for history to see and justice will be done. So keep on fighting and turn all of our frustration and your frustration and energy into determination to achieve an epic victory in November 2024 nothing is more important this will be the most important election in the history of our country our country is going bad our country is going into a communist state and we can't let that happen We will make America great again. We cannot let anything happen to this precious country of ours. Thank you very much.
0: And he goes on and reiterates that we will win.
1: Please realize that all of these indictments and lawsuits against me are conceived and run by radical left Democrats, the same lunatics that are destroying our country. The indictments and litigation are highly partisan election interference. Now we're in a partially corrupt system of justice. We call it a system of justice. It's really a system of injustice filled up with Marxists, fascists, communists, and radical left Democrats. But also it has great American patriots who see what is happening to our country, who see that our country is going bad, It's going communist, and they're not going to allow it to continue to happen. They're going to stop it. These are the most important people right now in the history of our country. We will win. We will bring back America. We will make America great again. Thank you very much.
0: Now, that is a pretty powerful statement about the system of justice in this country. He talks about the communists, the Marxists, the fascists, Within that system, and we certainly have those, it seems to be optically that those people are in control of that system. But Donald Trump makes sure to remind everyone that in every system where there are bad people, the good people are there as well. This is the good twin, evil twin dynamic I talk about all the time. There are people pushing for that global regime agenda, that global communism agenda. And there are people trying to do the right thing to strengthen America, to pursue justice and to resist the pressure of that global communist regime. The good twin evil twin dynamic exists in everything. And it's important to be able to see it in everything so that you don't lose hope. Now, again, there are 44 of these, so I'm not going to go through all of them. But there are a bunch of really interesting ones. And one of them is this one about Jack Smith and the documents case.
1: Security tapes from Mar-a-Lago that evil and sinister prosecutor deranged Jack Smith leaked or otherwise stated were deleted or altered were in fact not deleted or altered at all. In fact, I didn't even have to give them. These are my tapes. I gave them openly and freely. It was a fake story put out by these government thugs. That's what they are. They're government thugs. They're bad people. Those tapes were openly handed over without protest or litigation. I didn't have to do that. And then the deranged one, Jack Smith, makes me look as bad as possible by leaking fake stories about we altered the tapes. No, they now admit the tapes were not altered. The whole case is fake because I come under the Presidential Records Act. Biden and Mike Pence don't. They don't. It's a different kind of a problem. But Joe Biden has documents from when he was a senator. You can't do it. It's an impossible. These are classified documents. He's not allowed. But I have the Presidential Records Act, and it was developed and approved by Congress exactly for this purpose. The whole thing is a fake charade. The one who is liable and very responsible is crooked Joe Biden the most crooked, the most corrupt president, the most incompetent president in the history of our country? Thank you very much.
0: He goes on about the indictments and Joe Biden's radical left thugs.
1: These crazy indictments against me should be viewed as campaign contributions to crooked Joe Biden and his radical left thugs. This will be their updated form of cheating. Uh- and election interference. Remember, these are Biden indictments. They're not pure and simple. They're not coming down from heaven. These are indictments made up by Joe Biden and the people that surround him, mostly the people that surround him. He's got a bad group. They're thugs. They're radical left fascists. They're Marxists. They're communists. They have the worst people. But these people made these indictments. So when they say, oh, Donald Trump is going to court. No, no. We're going to court to fight a crooked system, a corrupt system, and Democrats better be careful what they wish for because this kind of thing can happen to them and it can happen very quickly. Thank you very much.
0: And Trump mentioned in an interview this week that because they had gone after him, he is now planning to go after them. When he is publicly recognized as president, once again, he is going to go after all of them. Now, you might not believe it. You might not think it's going to work, I do think it's going to work, and I believe it 100%. In fact, I imagine we're a lot farther down that road than anyone recognizes. Now, again, you can find links to all of these in order on the Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com. And this is the last one of the statements I'm going to play. This is him talking about how no one believes that he actually lost in Georgia.
1: Easily won the great state of Georgia in 2016. Did a fantastic job as president for Georgia and the entire USA. Received 10 million more votes than I got nationwide in 2016. Got by far the most votes in history for a sitting president. But shockingly, lost Georgia. All this despite winning nearby Alabama and South Carolina in record-setting landslides. Why did Georgia officials agree to sign that horrible one-sided consent decree? Nobody to this day has figured that out. Does anybody really believe I lost Georgia? Because I don't.
0: I don't either. There is absolutely no way he lost Georgia. The evidence is obvious. It's everywhere. It's overwhelming, just like everywhere else. And Even if that wasn't true, there's absolutely no way any official should have ever signed their name to the certification of these elections that were held unlawfully and contained an incredible number of unlawful votes. Here is the campaign ad that Donald Trump closed out this little spree with.
1: This is the final battle. With you at my side, we will demolish the deep state. We will expel the warmongers from our government. We will drive out the globalists. We will cast out the communists, Marxists, and fascists. We will throw off the sick political class that hates our country. We will rout the fake news media, and we will liberate America from these villains once and for all.
0: He sounds pretty serious there. It's strange that Ron D. Santis and Vivek Ramaswamy, and the rest of the also-rans never sound like that. Do they just not know what time it is? Do they not know what the important issues are? Or are they spending all their time talking about wokeness because they don't want to talk about this stuff? Now some interesting news in the Fulton County case. The judge overseeing the sprawling 2020 election interference racketeering case against former President Donald Trump and 18 co-defendants, says that all the proceedings in his courtroom related to the case will be live-streamed and allowed to be televised. This is from CNN.com, by the way. The ruling, however, would be subject to change and would not apply to any portions of the case moved to federal court, so they might decide it's just not going to work. No one can see it. Would I be surprised if they played one day? showed some evidence that makes it clear that elections in the United States of America are stolen. And then the judge immediately decides that's about enough for the television that could happen. That would be pretty jarring. I imagine some people could wake up from that. He also said that all hearings and trials would be available for broadcast on the Fulton County court YouTube channel. He said he will allow broadcast media to have pool cameras, where groups of news organizations combine their resources and share camera access in the courtroom. So that just means we're going to see the same videos on all the networks and the pervasiveness of those particular points of view will make it seem like those are the only points of view from that event. That's the phenomenon we witnessed with the coverage, the live coverage of J6. The judge also decided to allow members of the media to use cell phones and computer electronics in the courtroom for non-recording purposes, such as note-taking. Donald Trump also decided to waive his arraignment and enter a plea of not guilty. The end of the letter reads, as evidenced by my signature below, I do hereby waive formal arraignment and enter my plea of not guilty to the indictment in this case. This 31st day of August, 2023, it includes Donald Trump's signature on the line above which the letters read President Donald Trump. Donald Trump just signed his name in a legal document for this indictment as President Donald Trump. So make of that what you will. I can say he sure sounds presidential. I'll be back on Monday. At the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Maston and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon. Out on the range. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator.